Angelus Domini, nuncia mit of the church for the week ahead with me tim hutchinson and with me nick swarbrick good morning tim how are you doing not too bad it's nice and sunny here in cambridge how about there over it's, in the other place uh, in in uh the uh, the center of all learning itself uh, since i'm going to stand up for that <laughs> in oxford uh, certainly it was a very very sunny morning but without the frost that is po- promised for tomorrow um, which was good because all our seedlings are out in the garden. Beautiful morning. It reminded me very much of Father Tansy's dawn, the yellow and light, mm. um, g- giving, a, giving us a sign of God's hope, which was wonderful. Um, and as I said, quite chilly here. But we have, um, I suppose we ought to start with a prayer. Yes, let's do indeed. But tell me, what, what seeds have you got in there just um, before we... Oh, well, we've go. got some... We've got everything's in at the moment and what should be a... a a conservatory when we bought the house is actually now a greenhouse and it always nice. is at this time of the year. So it's sweet peas and peas and you have to remember which is which before you put them in the ground. And it's carrots and um, everything from carrots to cosmos uh, so that the garden will fill up with the annuals as, as Maggie sees fit. Maggie is the gardener of such things. <laughs> I, imitate, I imitate Christ on that because if you remember somebody um, after his resurrection um, assumed he was a gardener and I think everyone assumes I'm a gardener too. But, <laughs> but, um, uh, Very good. I, I like it. <laughs> All right, let's pray in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O God, who commanded us to listen to your beloved Son, Be pleased, we pray, to nourish us inwardly by your word, that with spiritual light made pure, with spiritual sight made pure, we may rejoice to behold your glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Interesting misreading there, Tim. Yeah, I thought uh, you might sight, comment on it. <laughs> sight and light. I mean, they. Why has why have we got that kind of convergent evolution in in English yeah. that gives us those those two words which are so mutually um, uh, dependent? Why do we have them so close to each other in in English? It's, it's a it's quite an amazing thought. And isn't there a, a phrase in the? I'm going to say psalm, but I haven't thought this through now because I'm just I'm you just brought it up is give light to my eyes yes let's give light to my eyes and then that wonderful phrase um in your light god we see light yes and Um, the eye is the lamp of the body if the eye is full of light the whole body will be full of light which is going to be interesting when we come to think about next sunday's gospel which of course is the transfiguration in lent rather than the feast of the transfiguration in august and it, it is all about light and revelation again. We're back to where we were on uh, February the 2nd. Yeah, yeah, we are indeed. Um, <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you there. What were you saying? 
No, I just said super stuff. I think it's great yeah. that we have these these quite explicit links. But like I said, how come sight and light do that? Uh, rather cruelly, of course, R.S. Tom Thomas takes the same image and says, why is there only word, one word that rhymes with God and that's odd? Um, and I think, you know, that there are also, this is also not true, but you get the yeah. idea. That, <laughs> I can think of a few others. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you do have that notion, don't you, of these two words that we need uh, to complete that symbolism of access to God yeah, are, are about that. There's a wonderful book by a... Um, and a Canadian nun uh, in which she reflects on the practices of Zen meditation within a Christian context. Mm -hmm. And the book is called Light Sitting in Light. I do like that as a notion of um, the kind of deep contemplation, the mm -hmm. wordless contemplation that all it is, if you like, is light being shown by God's light. And, they, and, you, know, and you did it. You put your finger on it exactly by reading that collect the way you did. Which I thought was right. Well, there we go. I, I'd like to say that I planted it there uh, intentionally, but <laughs> it's just having, a reading. Having said that, the responsory for this morning, uh, after after the the, uh, the reading in morning prayer about the snare of the hunters, I did once see a whole group of people reading the office, uh, some fairly senior monastics as well absolutely um, having to give up for a while because somebody did a, the spoonerism of the hair of the snunters instead of the snare of the hunters. <laughs> These I things do like happen. <laughs> I, so I think light and sight is... I think you have told me that one. I, I heard about it, another one where somebody um, was trying to sort of spontaneously... Uh, or, with with a degree of improvisation in terms of melody, sing through different passages from scripture and and getting to a passage about the um the elders in the book of Revelation said they cast their robes and uh, everyone was <laughs> in hysterics. <laughs> yes, yes. Rather, rather than, than they cast their, their crowns, crowns. yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I don't. I suppose for a Greek-speaking world, it would have been less less of a problem. I don't know. <laughs> Let, let's not go down that that, that rabbit hole. Oh, well, there's and a there's a it. monastic tradition of you know when you're being clothed, you have to um, take off your old clothes and put on your new ones. And anyways, I've only holes. ever seen that with someone taking a jacket off and put it um, put putting a habit on over the top. But I I presume that in a more direct culture uh, it probably was stripping down at least to undergarments if yeah. undergarments were existed at that point um yeah and it would only be the community anyway that was there so you would yes absolutely wouldn't have been a public event um no. but baptisms i think were were done with a lot less clothing um I, i've heard it said that that was one of the one of the roles of the deaconess well, it's interesting that, that we should bring that up because that's actually something we're going to be talking about in Questions of Faith today. Um, really? Yeah, we're going to be talking about um, about female, the female diaconate uh, historically and whether and kind of, yeah. D oh, so if anyone don't has get questions... Don't started on the Carthusians, then I will have to be quiet at that, at, at really? that point. Really? 
That's interesting. Um, I, okay. I, I have no idea what that means, but feel free to call in later uh, to Questions of Faith if you I, I could Yes, I could disguise my voice and be one of those that sort of be an argumentative person who, who, who phones up and says, but what about? But when they, if that person gets to the Carthusian, you'll have to say, that's Nick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. What have First we got to listen to today, to. Nick? Okay. Well, this is a, a bit of a provocation in itself, um, and that is that we've got a Lenten hymn, um, and in fact we played it last year as well, uh, but this is the Lenten hymn, uh, Ecce Tempus Idonium, Now yeah. is the Healing Time Decreed for hit Sins of Heart, Word or Deed. But when Thomas Tallis got his hands on it, what he did was he wrote basically um, improvisations, except that, of course they're written down. They're not really improvisations in that in that jazz sense, but they are um, further development of the theme uh, as alternate verses. So what you would have heard is what we're going to hear now, which is somebody starting with Ecce Tempus Idorium. Now is the healing time decreed, and then a bit of um, a bit of uh, organ playing, and then a verse of the Latin hymn. So we've got about four minutes of this, but it alternates, and each time the organ is doing something different. Mm -hmm. And watch out because it's Talis for his trademark dissonances because they're in there. Great. And the version we're going to be listening to is David Woolston and the Clickers of Oxenford. Yep. Would you say it in that way? I would probably just say the clerks, but yes, if, if we're going to go for a Middle English pronunciation, it's the clerkes, isn't it? As, as clerkes finden or written in their book, as we, as we debated during Advent. We did indeed. Well, here it is. So that was um, Ecce Tempus Idoneum by Talis and um, sung by the Clerks of Oxenford or Clerkers. And um, I must say, it was almost comical, some of those dissonances in there, as F. Talis was responding to a dare. I dare you <laughs> to put in these, um, these passing notes or these dissonances in such a piece. Oh, it's wonderful to, to, to find those... Um if you like, those, those things that ought to have been, there ought to be a letter from William Byrd saying, I just, I bet you can't get more than two in or something. Yeah. Um, I, for me, it's it's actually more to do with the fact that I think Talis is really um, valuing what you can do on an organ that you can't do, for example, on the lute. Um, and I, I don't play stringed instruments, uh, as you know, but actually managing those in a semitones next to each other is quite a trick, would be quite a tricky thing on a fretted instrument. Mm. Whereas, of course, on a keyboard, you can do these things very, very easily and you can play with those dissonances, coming back to them in slightly different ways or even on different notes, but you get the same dissonance. It's a clever piece of music. It, it sounds like it oughtn't to be, but actually he's, he's really testing stuff out there, I think. Yeah. 
And uh, speaking of the organ, of course, we shouldn't be hearing this much organ during Lent. But tell me some of your thoughts on that and explain perhaps the outline to the listeners who are going, what? Okay, well, be, be before we hear the, if you like, the word from the the instructions on the missile, I just want to think about the, the sociology or the psychology of the choir loft. Okay. And that is, it would be a brave person, it would be a brave young curate, if you like, who went to a well-established organist and said, you do know we're not supposed to be having voluntaries at this point, don't you? And I think there's an awful lot of goodwill in some parishes which resides with the relationship between clergy and choir and worship and community mm. and i you know in in saying what we're going to say in a minute i wouldn't want people then to start thinking well nick and tim told us we hadn't to do this because that's what the pope <laughs> said i mean there, there's yeah. a certain amount of pastoral leeway that must be involved i'm sure where somebody has to say who's going to be offended if we put if we really put our foot down here yeah. Having said that, I was in a parish during the great liturgical changes where the choir steadfastly refused not to sing a choral benedictus after the consecration. That's what we've always done. It was good enough for our fathers and it's good enough for you, father, to some <laughs> young priest who told them that they couldn't do it. And you, know, you wouldn't want to destroy the unity of, yeah. of, a, of a worshipping community simply for those issues. Having said that, you know, shall I read it out or do you want to read it out? The general instruction from the Roman Missal. I don't have it in front of me. So I think in that won't. case, well... Oh, no, I do. You put it right here in front of me, haven't you? But, well, you go for you okay. it there it is. So this is um, from the general instruction of the Roman Missal, paragraph 313. Which tells you how complex this whole thing is, <laughs> that we're on paragraph 313 here. Go on. In Lent... The playing of the organ and musical instruments is allowed only in order to support the singing. Exceptions, however, are Letere Sunday, Fourth Sunday of Lent, Solemnities and Feasts. Yeah, so there's the rule. Them's the rules. <laughs> and, you know, it would be interesting to know whether there are people out there who, who do that. I know there's a yeah. Blackfriars in Oxford. Uh, Sarah, our wonderful organist, um, was the person that reminded me last week. Actually, there are no volunteers this uh, mm. this week. So not only are we depriving ourselves of the Easter word, which I'll come to again in a minute, but um, we're also saying this is not a time to be showing off. Yeah, and. I think maybe that's the kind of moral behind it. It's not that we shouldn't have music, but we shouldn't have music that distracts by people saying, oh, that was a gorgeous piece. Yeah. And we shouldn't actually have uh, an occasion for somebody to say, and now I'm going to let rip with a piece of messiaen. But I bet there are, are, are churches where, where those things are not mutually exclusive and people are not distracted and the, um, and the, the beautiful music from, from the organ loft is played with due humility and devotion. I'm not wanting to deny that. I'm just yeah. thinking that while well, we're struggling, we ought to think about you know, what's actually been instructed. I also think that it... So there's a number of things. Like there's a practical thing of just giving the organist a break. You know, if you, yeah. if you have a choir that's strong enough that can actually do without the organ then Lent is actually a really nice time for the organist to just have a break. And yeah. and I think that's that's a practical thing. But then also, I think that this feeds into some other things that actually should go throughout the whole year. So there's a, um, 
and I appreciate there's, there's different approaches to this and different traditions and it's not necessarily um, set in stone or there's no document from the Vatican telling yeah. an organist, you know, sort of what harmonies to use and not. But um, when I was doing a little bit of organ playing, which, which should not um, make anyone think that I can do it very well, was that you, I, I learned that you're never supposed to change a um, your a note or a chord when you're supporting the um, the singing, except on the beat of a syllable. And when when I tried to follow that, it's very interesting what it does to the singing. So I had I remember working with an organist who, at the end of a Kyrie or a Sanctus in the Mass, would do a, a little um, resolution. And and it I used to tear my hair out. I said, "No, <laughs> <laughs> we're supposed to end like it's not supposed to happen. This is not your chance for it. For a little um, a little here I am playing the organ next to the singing, um, and that may sound a little bit pedantic, but it, these these things, even though you you probably um, don't notice them specifically, you feel them um, when you know, we listen to some of these incredible uh, monastic chants that have organ under them. And the organ just sits under without drawing attention to itself. But it you feel the difference rather than perhaps um, notice it. Yeah. Ah, feeling the difference. I think that's an important, uh, important issue. And what you mustn't therefore do is disturb people singing because of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, Sarah is very good at doing that thing that organists sometimes do of a of a final the harmonies of a final verse of a hymn are more discordant, more mm. emph emphatic, and she does it very well in a way that doesn't disturb the singing. Mm -hmm. But you do sometimes hear people who think, "Is the melody still in there somewhere?" Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess that's really what we're supposed to be thinking of. You know, we we ought to be thinking particularly of an idea in which voice and you know, voice and text and music are as closely aligned as we can possibly make them. Yeah. Um, but perhaps if we come to all people that on earth do dwell in another, in another episode, we might listen to the Vaughan Williams and say, is that actually true? Sometimes mm. it works better. Yeah. Um, I, I just liked, I've got to hear the rule of St. Benedict on how Lent should be observed in a monastery. And uh, it has here, for example, during Lent, let us take on some addition to the demands of our accustomed service, such as special prayers and some sacrifice of food and drink. Thus, each one of us may have something beyond the normal obligations of monastic life to offer freely to the Lord with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That idea of we just should take on something else that really brings that joy to the fore mm -hmm. and if that means we do have, you know, we give the organist a break so that they can actually attend to the text rather than having to find the next piece that we, we, we've got to do or, you know, anxious of what's going to happen next. It does make a difference. Yeah. And I think that's I think you're quite right. Absolutely. Indeed. Now we have you were talking about a letter between Talis and Bird, um, which I made that up. You do know that. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not claiming I was... that I've read that. <laughs> Um, an imaginary letter between the two of them. So we have a piece by Bird. Tell us about this one. Okay, this. Um, I'm not saying that we should 
uh, use Allegri's Miserere with the same discipline as we have used the Easter word. Um, but uh, here is Bird's anthem drawing on the Miserere on on the on Psalm 50 or 51, depending on how you you count it. This is um, actually from the 16, who are you know I'm I'm really quite quite a big fan of theirs. Me too. It's called "Have Mercy on Me." Now we very often play pieces of Bird that draw more on his work with the um, the uh, what we might think of as the Romanizing faction within both court and and uh, and elsewhere, and I'm careful to avoid the difference here between Catholic and Protestant because I'm not sure what Bird would have thought of that as a, as, a, mm. as an image, but here we've got a piece which. Uh, plumps really very clearly for the the newer and more anglicised liturgy. It's Have Mercy on Me, sung by the 16 from their album William Bird, Psalms, Songs and Sonnets. And I also like the fact that Psalms has an E after the M in it. Lovely resolution there on the major. You're listening to the liturgical looking glass on Radio Mary. That was Have Mercy Upon Me, O God, sung by the 16, composed by William Burt. Time for a change of mood. Yes. I think okay. so. Yeah. Well, we had we've had two pieces from England from the uh if you like two sides of the of the great rift with Rome um uh, if you like in that we've got Talis and Bird there but we've I wanted to remind us that we're not just beating our breast that Lent is actually a springtime and uh there are plenty of hymns that that reflect that I thought it would be nice to hear a little bit celebrating the fact that the you know the flowers are coming out the mm-hmm. the, uh, the churchyards around us, the snowdrops are over, the aconites are nearly over, but the daffodils are out and it's it's looking lovely. And then I hit a challenge. The number of those those pieces of music which have the Easter word in them, the word that we are very <laughs> carefully, punctiliously last year didn't say during the programme, yeah. uh, the, the word that is the song of the desert, the praise of God, that single word which we will probably here in um, a certain chorus from Handel towards the start of Easter time. Most of those songs um, about the flowers appearing end with uh, a rousing little bit of that word. So it was quite a challenge and quite a fun challenge to find one that wasn't. But I found one. Etienne Moulinier's Flores Aparuerunt, the the, um, flowers appear uh, in our land. It's, I think it sits quite neatly on the cusp of between sacred and secular because you could actually just play this as a, isn't it nice to be that we're looking out onto the spring garden? Mm-hmm. But anyway, here it is. Um, this is uh, Ensemble Correspondance under Sébastien Dossé. And it's a beautiful album, this. Uh, but uh, here we've got Etienne Moulinier's Flores Aparuerunt. <laughs>
that was Flores Aparurent. Yes, it's a tricky word, isn't it, really? That errunt at the end catches you out. But yes, the flowers appear in our land, which I think is a lovely piece. I said said it perfectly while we were off air. (laughs) (laughs) That's always the problem, isn't it? The crocodile at my homework. Um. (laughs) Um, I see that there's a, a... there's a gradual piece with this text. Um, uh, oh, yes, there is indeed. Maybe we should have a go at that. Oh, now, hold on. Did I reject that because it's got the word in it? Um, I'm looking at it now, and no, it doesn't. In which case, I think we may have found ourselves a piece of music for next week. Yeah, you... and it's in the fifth tone, which is always interesting. So that oh, would that's be jolly <laughs> Yeah. It's a jolly okay. tone. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it has that ba 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 It has a kind of yeah. bounce to it, which I think is it, yeah, it, it's great. Indeed. No, I'm just it laughing at a... how English you are. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. No, don't Good. apologize. Oh, very English of you to apologize. Um, <laughs> let's let's move on from... Um, I, actually, I'm not sure we do move on from being jolly here, but we've got a Kyrie next, yeah. which you know, we might say it is one of the, the greatest expressions of joy going. I think that the idea that we can start our liturgy by asking for the mercy of God says something about the joy that's at the heart of uh, the heart of Christianity. We don't need to be gloomy about it. Mm. I often remember that bit in um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where God very naughtily is, who's actually Karl Marx, if you, if you, if you, uh, trace that picture back, says, oh, why are you always being so apologetic? It's so boring. And actually, the Kyrie is is obviously one of those times where we are being penitential, but penitential doesn't necessarily have to mean guilt-ridden. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, we are rid of our guilt, to, to nick an idea from, from a sermon I heard a couple of years ago. Mm. Let's listen to this. There's a catch-up here. If you remember last week, we hadn't got enough information on the Cantori Gregoriani. So I looked them up. And in fact, once I'd got through the fact that their their site is both in Italian and English, so therefore anybody that finds it and thinks, oh, he's reading that and translating it from the Italian, no, they have an English mirror, mirror site. They describe themselves as being entirely made up of specialists. Mm-hmm. The ensemble bases its work on semiological investigation. That is on the study of ancient manuscript sources date, dating back to the 10th and 11th centuries. So those differences that we're hearing when we listen to Cantori Gregorio are not regional differences. They're actually, oh, well, that's not quite what the manuscript says. So we're listening to a reconstruction there, perhaps less radical than Ensemble Organum do, but it nonetheless is an attempt to show us what the manuscripts rather than the printed text would say. They're interesting from that point of view. And um, Fulvio Rampi, their, their director, has a, a CV. I really I do find it difficult not to envy anybody who can put down they have a degree in Gregorian chant. Mm. I think that's a pretty cool thing to have. I'll have one of those if anyone has one going. Um, Honor, is, honorary degree, degree, anyone? Honorary degree in Gregorian <laughs> chant. That would be great, wouldn't it? Um, here is today's Kyrie, the Kyrie Orbis Factor, in one of the two recensions that, that, that uh, are, are, are around. It's a lovely one. <laughs>
I do love the endings of these Kyrie's and the way that they kind of bring out something different and explore something different and um, take everybody by surprise. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, they are beautiful. They are beautiful pieces. And I think sometimes, but I'm guilty when we, when I put my put forward my pro- proposals for the playlist for here for going for the the propers whereas the ordinaries are not to be sneezed at there are some mm. beautiful pieces of music in there yeah, really. yeah well i'll tell you what i mean we were uh, kind of we exchanged a few ideas on this and i noticed that we have quite a few interesting curios on um already in our our kind of um our music bank here so how about I choose a new one for us um, as a yeah. surprise for you? Over the Go for week. it. Go okay. for it. What have Good. you got? Uh, no, not today. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Fine. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> uh, we won't have enough time to play the rest my, of our music. My momentary panic subsides there, Tim. That, that, that's great. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So so next week, I'll I'll pick one from our, from our eclectic selection here. Um, and there are some really interesting ones. Um, so... So I'll leave you hanging at that. I had a horrible moment <laughs> at Mass last week where I was Cantor and we were doing the easiest one. We were doing, well, not the easiest one, but, you know, the Missy De Angelis. Yes, and, yes. Um, after the Asperger's, I, I hadn't really noticed in the Mass sheet that it said um, you could do the Asperger's or you could do the penitential rites. So uh-huh. I was expecting us to do the I Confess and then I come in with the Kyrie. But uh, our wonderful priest looked over at me and gave me a little nod. And I suddenly went, oh, goodness me, looked down at the sheet and just went completely blank. Um, so a little exercise in humility. But what I find interesting is that when you mess up a chant like I did this Sunday and then managed to resurrect it, um, everybody somehow like pulls together and decides that they're going to, to try and cover your mistake as best they can. So we had a very hearty Kyrie on Sunday, which I was um, glad to have unwittingly uh, contributed to. Well, let's hope that the congregation's enthusiasm for such things will carry over to this week then. That would be good. That would be good indeed. Now, we were going to uh, use uh, play a piece based on Psalm 121, which you chose, but I couldn't find it in our system. So I've chosen something different. Sure. Now, have you ever heard of poor Bishop Pieper? Uh, well, I've heard of Bishop Hooper, and in fact, we played um, some metrical psalms while you were away um, uh, to mirror the choice that Father Bruno made of his favourite piece of music, which was Fantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis. So we heard one of those psalms. You've got something here which intrigues me. Tell, tell us about it. Well, they have this project. Stop me if you've heard this or said, if it's been said already before on the liturgical looking class. It's a it's a husband and wife um, duo who went through the whole book of Psalms. Uh, I think they gave themselves a week or two weeks. Uh, no, it must have been a week because it took them three years to mm-hmm. do it. And um, every week they would write and produce a song based on one of the uh, on the psalms going through from 1 to 150 yeah uh, they split up the long one which is psalm 119 yeah yeah okay thank you um they split it up into all the different parts so that one was was much longer but 
Yeah, it's a very, very interesting project. Very wonderful music. They um, actually interviewed them on the radio. Uh, they're from Kansas in America. Mm-hmm. And they also have a really beautiful uh, rendition of the Stations of the Cross, which uh, right. they will be playing soon. So here is them doing Psalm 121. And Nick, why are we doing this psalm? Well, we were doing this one partly because these gradual psalms, I think, are are themselves quite important. Um, They're the short, very lyrical psalms. They're very like the Lord is my shepherd, which occurs a lot earlier in the book of Psalms. But they all sit together and called the gradual psalms. This one, our help is in the name of the Lord, is one of those ones where we are fairly directly uh, using our voice or the voice of the church to address God. And I think that from that point of view, I, they're, they're, they're beautiful for Lent. Mm. And um, without further ado, I think we, you know, we, we ought to just you know, say, we've, we've used the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal and, the, and their, their work before, but you know, the Psalms do, do stand up for themselves. And I'm intrigued to hear what, you, what, what you've chosen for us here, because that will be interesting. I've got another thing to add about the Psalm translations and Advent after mm. we've heard it. All right, here it is. I lift my eyes to the hills Where is my help from? Where does my help come from? I lift my eyes to the hills Where is my help from? Where does my help come from? I know my maker does not slumber He won't let my foot slip Where does my help come from? You're listening to the liturgical looking glass that was poor Bishop Hooper singing My Help Comes From The Lord or Psalm 121. What did you think of that, Nick? What a personal version of a psalm, having said that the gradual psalms were that that little personal collection. I thought that was an astonishing piece of music that was wonderful. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good project to to check out. And um, like I said, their their Golgotha project, which is the Stations of the Cross, is very interesting as well. They're not Catholic, um, but they they are drawing from uh, obviously these liturgical traditions. Um, yeah. I think via sort of. Uh, the Episcopalian, maybe? Uh, that church? would make sense if they're doing something like the Stations of the Cross, wouldn't it? Mm. That's, yeah, that's good. It's good. I really like that. Thank you for sharing that, Tim. That was great. My, my only response on the, on the Psalms was that um, this week I found myself in a, a fairly serious Catholic bookshop and asked for uh, a copy of the new translation of the Psalms. And they hadn't heard of it, nor had they heard that we were going to be getting new missiles. Um, uh, it, it, it strikes me that there, we still all have some work to do. And perhaps we have some work on Radio Maria England. We certainly have some work here to keep telling people Advent is nearly upon us. In mm. Do you remember those things that people put out any time from midsummer on saying how many shopping days till Christmas? Well, we might <laughs> we might want to do shop, shopping days till the new lectionary comes in. Yeah. 
um, it's worth our thinking of anyway. Um, I see that we're running short of time here and we have a major piece of music to play. How do you want to do this, Tim? Do you want to do you want us to go off to Senegal for a quick burst from Kermusa or shall we save them for another time? I think let's save the Kermusa because it would be nice to play this next piece in its fullness. And I think so. Um, yeah, it's sad, I think, but we can we can always do a bit of Kermusa next week or or at another time. Um, but this is a very interesting Ave Regina Celorum, a marionette. A very long Ave Regina Celorum, indeed. given what a short antiphon it is. Yes. Yeah. And tell me, how did you come across it and, and why did you choose it? I literally came across it because I thought we have got, we've we've played a few pieces already because we were cheating a little bit on the cusp between the um, Alma Redemptoris and the Ave Regina Celorum. So we've already used up some of our Ave Celorum credits, if you like. And I thought, well, what else can we find? So I literally just put this in on um, uh, on YouTube to see what I could find. And I I see that you found it uh, elsewhere. And I think that's, that's great. This is a, a, a fascinating piece of music it's i don't know how difficult it would be to sing it has quite a lot of um pay attention type tricks in it but that's as uh, that's right and proper for a longer piece of music mm-hmm. the Ave Regina Celorum is a short and very metrical piece i suspect it's perhaps one of the latest of, of the Marian antiphons to be written but it, this this really brings it to life, and and there's, there's light shines through this light through uh, through a stained glass on a sunny day, and I I, I really liked it. Hmm. I mean, that was my only reason. I liked it, so I thought, let's play it. I like that light, light through a stained glass, and um, yeah, I think that fits with our sort of reflective uh, metaphor that runs through the liturgical looking glass. Nick, it's been lovely doing the liturgical looking glass with you, and. It's always nice to end with the Marian Antiphon. Um, yeah, and look forward to to doing this again. Um, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to this surprise Kyrie as well, so we'll have to see what comes <laughs> next week. <laughs> we shall have to see indeed. All right, so tell us again. So it's Ave Regina Celorum, sung by Cantus. Sung, sung by Cantus under Tuva Ramlo Ustad um, from their album Fried. So it's a it's a piece from from Norway and um, within, if you like, the great choral tradition, but has some some interesting things to listen to as we go. Great. Well, you can catch us again next week, same time, same place. It's been wonderful with me, Tim Hutchinson, and with me, Nick Swarbrick. God bless everybody. Have a good week. Plena Dominus Tecum, Benedicta Tu.